that was good. <laughs> In this episode, Dr. Kruger-Ross and I will listen to a podcast from spring 2018 where the book group focused on The Great Gatsby and The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian. We will interject comments and um, analysis to help the new group of students in spring 2019 as they begin to think about their book club podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Matt. Hi, I'm Mary. Hi, I'm Kelsey. And I'm Megan. As a group of pre-service teachers, we will be discussing strategies for teaching The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald and The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie, which we will be referring to as Part-Time Indian, and issues that may arise in the classroom while focusing on these novels. So to start, the first thing that I really appreciate this group doing is they start from the very beginning by saying, this is our names, this I am so-and-so, I am so-and-so, and then they name the two books that they're going to be working on. Mm-hmm. That's that's a plus. Right? I would agree, yes. The one small thing I would love is you can kind of tell with the recording quality that it's – I think we'll, this will be different for this year mm-hmm. because we'll be doing it all together but and using the fancy microphone. But you can tell that this was kind of recorded in a, loudy, a loud sort of area and yeah. there's lots of like – it almost sounds like a big space. Yeah, like a large right. classroom. Yes. And we're, hopefully we'll, that will be adjusted for, mm-hmm. for this term. Yeah. So The Great Gatsby focuses on Nick Carraway, who tells the story of a mysterious millionaire, Jay Gatsby, his neighbor in Long Island, New York. Nick observes and quickly becomes fascinated by Gatsby and his lavish parties, one of which is where their friendship develops. These parties are an attempt to woo Gatsby's lost love, Daisy. Over time, it is learned that Daisy is Nick's cousin, and Gatsby attempts to reconnect with her through him. As time progresses, Nick watches as Gatsby is slowly ruined by his own dreams. And part-time Indian concerns Junior, a Native American boy living on a reservation who decides to attend a white high school in the next town. The novel follows his physical and mental journey throughout the course of the year. He's born with hydrocephalus, causing health problems, as well as bullying from peers in his reservation. He's an aspiring artist and basketball player, navigating the adjustment into a new high school. The novel follows him through many events, such as meeting a girl, making friends, coping with death, and the everyday occurrences of a typical high school-aged boy. Okay, so I think the first thing we wanted to consider was a question we all had, which was, how do you teach The Great Gatsby in conjunction with a young adult novel when it's written for an adult audience? For instance, um, Gatsby could be taught to seniors, whereas part-time Indian in terms of its style, is written for a middle school audience. Um, I will totally be the first to um, address this. I felt that this was the main concern that I had with this whole project. Um, I think we were really good at keeping in mind the themes that were really important throughout these two novels. So Gatsby was written more intricately, but the themes are pretty prominent and easy to understand and pick out throughout the novel. Whereas in Part-Time Indian, it was very easily written and easy to follow for students, Um, but they definitely did have more mature themes that were a little bit harder to choose from. Um, So we definitely did have an issue assigning a specific grade level to this, but uh, I think as a consensus, we did choose to stay with the 11th grade um, level, just because 
uh, we were able to you know, pick and choose where exactly um, it would be easier and harder for the students to comprehend, and 11th grade was practically the perfect uh, level that we were able to come to a consensus to. So what you're hearing here is the result of why we mixed up the book club pairings for this year. You hear the group here deciding where they should best place the teaching of the two books. And you can hear their hesitation and and actually some of their frustration. But this is why we adjusted this pairing, because this term we've got Great Gatsby with House on Mango Mango Street. Street. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that they... They're, asked, they're starting with a really good question. Um, how do you pair that? And I think one of the skills that you'll hone when you transition to ENG 390, which is the literature method, um, you know, you'll, you'll begin to think through, you know, how to have a rigorous discussion of a book without transferring over to rigor mortis, as Kylie Bears and Bob Propes talk about, you know, that we don't want to dissect our novels so much that it just kills the love of reading. Um, so I think that's okay when we pair a, a book with a higher lexile, like Great Gatsby, compared to a lower lexile, like uh, Part-Time Indian, um, but then what are we doing with it? How are we connecting those themes? Um, and it's okay if there's an easier book to read, but you can still delve into some of the themes in part-time Indian, um, like living on a reservation, like the code switching that he has to tackle, um, you know, going to the, the quote unquote white school, um, versus the reservation school and, and all of that. So I think that they're onto something here with this question. Um, and again, with, with us sort of guiding the conversation this semester, I feel like that's where, that's where we will push the conversation. Okay. Um, the themes that were incorporated were the American Dream, which is a pretty mature theme for an 11th grader, but because it was in Gatsby, um, it was very easy to apply. It was kind of the anti-American dream, so it just followed him and the struggles that he had, um, whereas the identity, it was easy to understand in um, part-time Indian, but it did have layers as well as in uh, Gatsby as well. Yeah, and I think when I read The Great Gatsby, the way I felt like it was like my teacher handed it to me and I was just supposed to read it and understand it, and that was not the case when I was in 11th grade. So I really have been thinking about this, and I think maybe showing the movie would help because you're able to visualize what's happening and the symbols are more obvious. So maybe reading the book together in class and then having them watch the movie after or maybe even before, I'm not sure, but I feel like that would be a good way for the students to see this novel and understand it and maybe put themselves into it in a way that's kind of hard. Yeah, I think it could go either way where if you're teaching it to younger students, um, part-time Indian would be a lot easier to read and Gatsby might be harder with the language. But on the flip side, if you teach it to older students, part-time Indian is going to be super easy for them to read and Gatsby might be more challenging, but also the themes in part-time Indian are very mature at times, and I think that they could get a lot out of it, even if um, they think that the language is more suited to middle school. So I think you could make an argument for either way, but um, I think it could be valuable at any age level, Um, and I think that the mature themes might be better handled by older students 
So I think that it would be perfect for pretty much any time in high school. If we run into this conversation when it comes time for us to record with our groups in spring 2019, one of the things I want to push back on a little bit that I'm hearing them circling around uh, with the conversation towards themes, this idea that there can be themes appropriate for smaller children or themes that are only appropriate for mature students. If, if we were interviewing this group right now, I think I would push mm-hmm. a little bit. I'd push a little bit more on like what exactly are we speaking about when it comes to uh, a mature theme. For me, I'm pretty sure the American dream is so popular within not only uh, American culture, mm-hmm. but throughout the world. I mean, especially if you consider the current climate with immigration and those conversations, that I could even make the case that it's not necessarily that it's too mature of a theme. It's just finding a way to make that real for Mm -hmm. maybe an element, even an elementary student or not saying we would teach this with elementary students. But I think if I were in a group of first or second graders or third graders, I could I could bring make this idea of the American dream come to life. And you could even tell a version of The Great Gatsby that would make sense for right. that age level. So I think, I don't know, what do you think, Dr. Schmidt? Well, I think, I mean, that's that's what we want our pre-service teachers to understand. How do they take a text yeah. and and break it apart to engage young people, right? Uh, to provide scaffolding and conversation and activity that will help them have respectful conversations about these themes, like the American dream, like even just tackling, you know, addiction in part-time Indian, tackling the fact that, you know, Gatsby is lusting after a married woman in Gatsby. You know, so there are some really, um, not even controversial, but there there's some heavy ideas here, mm-hmm. right? And so that's, that's our job is sort of that... Um, mediary, right, to to help our students, you know, figure out, well, what, what do you think about this, you know? And so whether that's through a pre-reading activity or whether that's through, you know, collaboration or conversation, um, I would agree. I, I think that, you know, the books that we have picked are middle, you know, 7 through 12, right? And so that range, um, but how do we, how do we guide kids yeah. through that? I have to agree on that. Um, I, I think it's better to choose the grade level based on the themes in part-time Indian especially rather than the skill level it takes to read it um, because you can pick apart those themes and um, you know have a really interesting discussion that you might not be able to have with a younger grade level student. So the second question we really thought a lot about I think is how privilege is represented in both novels because both of them deal with it in a very different way. So I think that's our next discussion point is privilege. Yeah, so uh, The Great Gatsby obviously was written in the 20s and it's definitely a product of its time. Privilege isn't represented the way that we talk about it now. Um, I think it does address it in a way because Gatsby did start off being poor and he follows like his dream, the American dream, and gets very rich and still doesn't have everything that he wants. He still wants Daisy, but he doesn't get it. And 
so he almost sort of achieves the American dream, but not really. Um, but then when we go to part-time Indian, it definitely talks a lot more about privilege. Junior is very, very poor, and he's discriminated against in his high school when he goes to um, the school in Spokane. So that's a very clear, like, the white kids in the story have a lot more privilege than Junior does. And it kind of shows that even if Gatsby is starting from a poor background, he still has the privilege of not being a person of color and is able to achieve some semblance of the American dream, whereas Junior has to start from a lot lower because he's discriminated against based on his ethnicity. So if he's reaching for the American dream, he has a longer way to go. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. In um, Part-Time Indian, it is more cut and dried with the way um, Junior deals with privilege. I mean, it's, it's obvious that uh, he has none, and the kids he goes to school with have all of this privilege. And it's very easy to see that throughout the novel um, in various ways. But I think it's a little more complicated in Gatsby, because Gatsby actually, from the outsider's point of view, has a lot of privilege. Um, but does that privilege necessarily give him freedom um, or is it more of a ball and chain for him? And then, of course, you have to think about the idea of whether all privilege is like that, or is it because Gatsby's privilege was not uh, something that society gave him, it was something that he sort of faked for himself and sort of made it look like he was more pr privileged than he actually was in terms of his poor upbringing. Um, but it's interesting to take all that and put it into a, a modern-day view of, of race relations. Um, it would have been, you know, if Gatsby had been written today, I think that might have been something the author would have thought about injecting into it. Yeah, um, I mean, thinking about just the novel in general, Gatsby, he was, he had to work for everything that he had. He was brought up in a very poor family, um, but he did get himself out of it, and he didn't really use anyone but one close friend, I believe, to get himself kind of at the point where he is at the end of the novel. Um, he kind of deserved the privilege that he was given, I feel as if uh, that's suffice to say in the novel. Um, you know, he worked for everything that he, uh, he got, and I mean, now he is, I mean, just because he's white then and white now, I feel like that really wouldn't make much of a difference if you started from the bottom and you got yourself up to the top. Um, I don't think that would be a huge issue today, whereas in um, part-time Indian, Junior totally had a really bad upbringing. He had a lot of family problems, uh, discriminated between just his Spokane people in the reservation, as well as when he moved to the high school, he was also discriminated because of his color. I mean, he was the only Indian boy who was in that school. Um, so I feel as if Junior had a little bit more of an issue with privilege, or a problem, I should say, with privilege, um, just because of all the issues that he did have. I mean, he started from his birth. He was kind of given all of these cards in life, um, and he just kind of rolled with it. And I mean, throughout the end of the novel, it's not that he was necessarily like a happy 14-year-old boy, but he de definitely had a better way of um, kind of seeing himself with the privilege that he really wasn't given, and he kind of accepted that and did everything that he could um, just to do his best in that high school atmosphere. What I like about what they've said so far 
is that they're not talking over one another. Um, it does feel like an organic conversation. Um, so it doesn't sound like an interview or a, an interview or anyone's <clears throat> reading off of a script, like a stump speech or anything like that. Right. So I do like that authentic feel feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, and I just think it's interesting that um, Gatsby had all of this privilege, but he was still so deeply unhappy, whereas Junior had to fight just to get an education. Sometimes he had to walk 20 miles to get to school, and he seems like the happier character to me. He went through all of this terrible stuff, but in the end, he seemed happier than the great Gatsby, so it's just like an interesting juxtaposition between privilege and happiness. So... The next topic that uh, I want us to talk about is what are our thoughts about public versus private identity and how are these phenomenons represented in these novels? Yeah, this was a big uh, topic of conversation for all of us, I think. Um, it's really interesting to look at Gatsby, who has this you know public identity that everyone's privy to, and then he has a private identity that no one uh, knows about except for Daisy and then um, with Junior I feel like he has multiple levels of public and private identity he has his public identity in his white school he has his public identity on the reservation but he also has a private identity apart from either of those that neither the reservation or the public school um, is a part of and that's his personal diary and cartoons that he draws um, so it's interesting to see those different layers in his personality. I think that's, if you look at it in modern terms, in terms of social media with Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, um, you're seeing something very similar. I think there's layers that people show in social media that almost come off as an onion that you peel. Um, and you can have your public persona, but you may have your private persona with friends, which is also just another layer before your private persona that's you know, inside of your own consciousness. Um, and uh, this was something that we felt so strongly about that we thought you could make, you know, a possible lesson plan using social media, um, exploring these ideas in modern life and in the novel's main characters. I appreciate them referencing their lesson plan. This is something we haven't necessarily drafted out in the suggested questions that we'll give to the students as they prepare for their podcasts. But I like that they mentioned and referenced, mm -hmm. it, you know, this is why we made this decision to be the focus of our, of our lesson plan. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, it's something we can ask these students, even as they, because they have just completed their multimodal lesson plan, which they've done together, but they're also, while we'll be recording their book club podcasts, they'll be working on their individual lesson plans as right. well. So it'll be interesting to see what have you chosen from the books to focus on. Right. Yeah, I mean, as a, as a teacher and educator, you're also a role model. So teaching a lesson that revolves around public versus private identity is a really smart move, especially when it comes to these novels. Um, I mean, in these two books, we, as Matt said, we did see multiple layers and levels of each of the characters in their public and private identities. Um, they were more comfortable having the reader and the other characters in the book, um, you know, known about their specific levels and their different types of identities that, um, you know, that they represented for themselves. But I think as an educator, this was 
probably the most important point that we took from each of the books because um, especially with social media today, it's such a big construct that, you know, especially kids of the high school level are so, um, they care so much about what they look like on social media, whereas they should really be focusing on their true identities and their true selves and what makes them, you know, their personalities instead of just what they look like. Um, and for Junior, at least, that was a big issue that he dealt with, just um, with his physical, mental, and just his upbringing in general, uh, the issues that he had. So just connecting that and making sure the students understand that, you know, we are all different and we all come from different backgrounds. That was, I think, the best lesson that we all learned as future educators of these students of this age. Yeah, definitely. Junior is such an interesting character because he lives on a reservation, which is basically this small town where if you're not related to someone, you've known them since you were born. So you really, it's hard to have a private identity because everyone knows everything about you. But he's able to do that through his drawings. And I think that's an important lesson for adolescents to learn is how to express yourself and how to cultivate your private identity. And also, I feel like he does share his drawings, which shows that you should let people into your private identity. It shouldn't be under a lock and key like Gatsby's was because he was so unhappy being so isolated. So it was very interesting and it would be really cool to have a social media project because it would get the kids thinking about what they're putting on social media in a more deep way because I feel like a lot of times kids just throw something up and they don't actually think about what it's saying about them or what it's saying about their friends or whatever so I think it's a great platform to teach them to be thoughtful about how they show themselves on social media. Um, yeah actually I think that the whole idea of the American Dream really connects with this too because um, the American Dream uh, is sort of this public identity or it's informed by the public or the society around you Whereas most people, if they look deeply enough, don't the American dream is not part of their inner private identity. Um, it's informed by something outside. And um, like Megan was saying, social media would be a great tool to help teach uh, students about not only how social media propagates that, but also ways to um, feel comfortable in your own identity. Yeah, I think you all hit the nail on the head with all of that. Um, I think these books are a really great platform uh, and a really great opportunity to be able to talk about these issues and um, the whole dynamic of having a public and a private identity. And I think that we all have our, our uh, public personas that we put on, even apart from social media, but just you know every day when we talk to different people and we have our own private identity on the inside. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have both of those, like it's just a, a reality of our world, but I think that being thoughtful about the way you present yourself, um, both online and just to the people around you, is really important for students to learn. Um, so teaching these two books and the themes that are in them, and also relating it to such a relevant part of life would be a really good way to show students that literature you know, is relevant to them. I like how they embedded both of these texts or connected both of these texts to social media. I think that is a doorway in for some students to then think about private public persona. Um, I thought that was really clever because I think 
at face value, you wouldn't necessarily think of the Great Gatsby having anything to do with modern day. So I do, I do love that in thinking about these two texts, they brought in social media as a possible piece, right, um, to engage their students, to really have them connect and contextualize these stories into today's world. So this last question that we chose to talk about as a group um, really doesn't have anything to do specifically with the books, but um, actually one of the authors of the books. So um, in the beginning of March, there was an article on NPR that was put out, and it's called, It Just Felt Very Wrong, Sherman Alexie's Accusers Go on the Record. Um, so we did bring this up as a group that we did want to uh, talk about this because especially for something like this happening, um, so what kind of happened was Sherman Alexie was brought up on some sexual harassment charges. Um, the women who reported the behavior were ranging from anywhere that were inappropriate comments to both in public and private to flirting uh, that veered into a sexual territory. Uh, which could have been unwanted sexual advances and consensual sexual relations that ended abruptly. Uh, the women said that Alexi had traded on his literary uh, celebrity to lure them into uncomfortable sexual situations. He did uh, later admit to harming others and said that the women were telling the truth. Um, I believe this article was put out on March 6th, so this happened a week prior. Um, their stories are complicated and messy and are about the power that they felt that he had over them as they're all about sex and how um, to change that power dynamic that could have been where the conversation has to go from here. So I did just want to put this question out. Um, how do we deal with these allegations about Sherman Alexie in the classroom and you know, how do we just address this specifically? Would you feel comfortable expressing this um, to your classroom? Because it is something that has been happening a lot in recent uh, times, so. Yeah, I think this is um, very timely because of the Me Too movement. And um, I just think this is a very complicated issue, especially because um, Sherman Alexie is such a minority in the literary world. They're really, I can't even name another Native American author as an English major, that's terrible, but I can't. So it's just like, this. he's special. He's not just another author, another white male who did something wrong. It's this incredibly special author that um, writes beautiful stories that hit on so many important topics for young adults, but he's also a sexual harasser, like that is undeniable. So I think that it's hard to just dismiss his books because they are unique in the literary world, but I think that it has to be addressed that of what he was doing to those women, because if you don't, that takes away their voice and their power, and they deserve to have their power given back. So I would definitely want to bring it up to my students, and I think that's such a hard topic because it's very triggering. So I guess I would warn them the day before and be like, yes, we're talking about an author tomorrow who had some women come forward about claiming, or he sexually harassed women and he admitted to it, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow and what that means, and just try and have the conversation be open and a safe space for the kids to talk, and then go forward go forward with a novel kind of putting that aside and just looking at the text for what it is instead of 
the author so that way I'm addressing that he did these things but then appreciating the text for what it is separately yeah I agree and I think it's a really hard issue to figure out what to do it's very complex and there's a lot of nuance to it but I don't think that I would be able to teach this book and feel okay about it without bringing this up to my class and you know holding him responsible and not just saying well he's this great author he wrote this great book so he gets a pass um it kind of sucks to have to be a person that kind of takes authors off of that pedestal that we like to put them on especially as somebody who loves books like if I if I found out that my favorite author did something terrible I would feel awful and um it would just bring me down to think like oh this person that I am so fond of and who I kind of idolize is a person who made mistakes and who did things that are not okay um and I don't want to be the person that brings that realization to students, but I think it's very important that we do let them know that um, authors are people and they they do things that aren't always okay and have the discussion. Is it still okay to read this book, to still enjoy this book and um, see the book separately from the author? And that's something I thought about because I was reading the book as these allegations came out and I had the book sitting in front of me while I was reading the article and I was so conflicted I was like this I was really enjoying this book can I not enjoy this book now and I don't think that there has to be that dichotomy of I can't enjoy anything that this person has done because he's done something like this I think it's just it needs to be a conversation in the classroom um, because students you know deserve to know about these kind of things and not just have it pushed under the rug. Yeah, uh, I think it's one thing to, um, you know, to have a discussion about something a character does within a novel that's inappropriate for school, but when you have the author of the novel do something like this, um, it takes on a whole new tragic dimension, and that's what makes it so difficult um, to sort of dissect. And I agree with everybody um, that it's really between are we going to teach this novel in schools because of the power that it has to um, show many sides of American life and an underrepresented side of American life? Or are we going to just, um, you know, stop teaching it, uh, period? Uh, if we do continue to teach it, should we make this a part of the conversation? Because I think it's completely unacceptable to, in my opinion, to teach the book without having this be part of the lesson. Um, and then we, you know, come to that other difficulty of, of um, once again, what's appropriate to broach within the classroom environment. So this is a really tough question. I don't feel like any of us have, like, a, a straightforward answer for it, but um, I think that it's definitely uh, interesting to discuss it as a possible um, way to look at the book while you're teaching it. Um, and that way you're respecting the victims to a certain extent and you're also respecting um, your students' ability to take on this complicated subject matter and use it in their own lives. Um, Listening to this a year later is, is, almost, is humbling 
And I'm, I also feel a little proud. But at the same time, I think it's worthy to pause here and think we obviously made our own decision in how we deal with the allegations, the, the context, and how we've done it with this class. The book is no longer part of the book club project, mm-hmm. right? They've discussed about how they. it seems like their consensus is they would not want to not teach the text or not read the book or mm-hmm. make reference to the author, but rather hold both up together the biography of the author and the reality of the of, of the text. And I think I can't identify by voice if it was Megan or Mary, but um you know, one of them said they couldn't even name another Native American yeah, author. author yeah. So I think sometimes that's even that's problematic and that's one of the reasons why we're pushing back on the canon, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and it's not to say that it's easy to just replace one Caucasian male author with another white male author. Um, but I think even that, we want to make sure that we're authentically representing everyone's narratives in our in our classroom curriculum, right? So that it's not just like, well, that was my one Native American author. Um, now there are many more that we could pick from. Maybe you just replace with a female author. Maybe you replace with an LGBTQ author. You know, we, I don't know if we necessarily have to swap. Well, you know, he was native American, so I need to find another token native American author for that slot, right? That he's so unique. And, and I think the more you read, and, and again, our students will experience this when they're taking Young Adult Lit, when they're taking 390, when we start to talk about what does the curriculum look like at large, just the job of an English teacher to be so well-read. Yeah. Right? Not to even have read everything, but, but be, to be well-read enough to know all of these authors are out there. And maybe right. you haven't read the books, but you know you know where the representation is um, of Latina, Latino authors, Native American, um, Asian American, like I said, LGBTQ, like disabled. Like are, are you reading about disabled characters, you know? And so, so kind of, um, again, not to check off a token, but to really just give your students the most rich environment where they see themselves so in do, their readings. So do you think just, you know, if we're walking our talk, do you think we made the right decision? I say that saying we had our we had a pretty quick conversation. We knew what we were gonna do for mm-hmm. repairing of books. But I don't know if you remembered, I didn't remember their reasoning of what to do. Would have been you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Did we make the right decision? I don't know. I think, I mean, I've been, for me, this is more personal than professional, mm-hmm. like thinking through as these, as so many of these allegations yeah. are coming to light just in the last couple of years, you know, um, and it's not just in the literary world, yeah, right? TV it's it's Michael Jackson's music, it's film, Bill Cosby yes. on TV, it's, it's uh, C.K. Lewis and, or Louis C.K. Louis and, C.K. And, and comedy. Yeah, it's and um, Matt Lauer and, and television. Yeah, and um, Harvey Weinstein, like uh, films yeah. that he produced. Like I, in my ENG 400, the Shakespeare, um, 
you know, Shakespeare in Love is not necessarily a play translation, and it's certainly not a straight nonfiction biography, um, but it is an interesting film that gives a perspective. Um, and the and the cast, I had a VHS tape when I was teaching, the cast did an educational video that was like 45 minutes, so it was perfect, um, where they talked about the costuming, the the globe theater, the the language, the way that you know, researchers and scholars acknowledge that Shakespeare wrote and then as the actors got together, changes were made and so it was editing on the fly and so it was a great, you know, 40 to 45 minute video and I don't have a VHS player anymore and I think the video is actually on YouTube of that but I even said to the ENG 400, like, I don't exactly know what to do and how to proceed when... This happens. When allegations come forward, can you acknowledge the art? Can you appreciate the art even though the artist yeah. is has has like I think it was Kelsey who said like we we put our authors on pedestals, right? We put artists on pedestals. Um and I think sometimes like on one side of it it's that we're all human. Mm. Right, we're all flawed. Maybe some of us, maybe our flaws aren't necessarily felonies, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> but I think that becomes a challenge. You know, do you take things like I have absolutely true die of a part time Indian in my home library, signed by the author? Mm-hmm. Do you take it off the shelf? I haven't taken it off yeah, the shelf. Same. I haven't burned it. <laughs> um, yeah. It's an yeah. It's, I I don't know. I, to think, me, I'm still working it out in my head. I think it's okay for us to say that and for it to be an ongoing question, especially because I'm, I'm glad you made this connection. There, we are not the only ones trying to process and figure out what we do, or what you do with the mm-hmm. great works of art or great works of literature or TV or film. I think so. I, I do want to congratulate the group. Mm-hmm. I think they've done a good job of processing it and talking it through. Uh, and they've reached their own consensus mm-hmm. of what they would do moving forward. Uh, but yeah, it was, it's, I'm not sure any other group had to kind of tackle, tackle anything like no. this, right? Right. And even midway through the semester, we're like, oh, sorry. Yeah. Like, this is, this is where this we're This is at. your book, and this news just hit, and sorry, guys. I can, yeah. because they said uh, they dropped the date March 6th was... When the, yeah. when the article came out, and it sounds like they said like a week after they were doing their recording. Right. So it seems like there's the timestamp, and we're recording this on March 7th. So, yeah. A year later. A year later. Yeah, I do just want to quickly add that, you know, as future educators, if you did want to bring this up in the classroom, um, how to go about bringing it up in the classroom. So if you are comfortable sharing this with your students, I feel as if it's really good to start on a very baseline level asking your students if they've ever heard or learned about sexual assault, sexual harassment, um, anything to do with that subject of nature. Um, Once the students, you know, you kind of see them opening up to the possibility of them sharing if they have or not, then you can follow with, you know, what are your individual feelings on this? Um, I mean, high school is a very hard age. Usually that's kind of that time where things like this will start to happen to your students. And Unfortunately, as horrible as that sounds, um, you may have some victims in your classroom who you have no idea. So, 
you know, if they are comfortable sharing, allow them to share and make it a safe environment. Um, if they're not comfortable sharing but still would like to give you, um, you know, what their thoughts are, allow them to write to you. And even if it's anonymous or they have their name on it, just give them the opportunity to share, um, you know, just what they know, what they feel, and, you know, their like their experiences with it, whether it was their, a friend, uh, them, a parent, a cousin, you know, just a bystander. Um, it's just really important to give the students the freedom to have an opinion about it, to listen about something that, you know, is so hard to, you know, address like this. Um, so just having that safe environment as your classroom, that's what we all strive for as, you know, teachers. So just remembering that and just allowing for your students to be able to enter uh, that safe haven um, is of utmost importance. Um, and also, I was just, you made me think about the idea of when you're teaching this in a classroom and you do bring up uh, the sexual uh, allegations as part of the sort of lesson, high school students are very impressionable. And if you, um, make that part of the lesson, is that going to undermine the lessons that the book teaches? So for instance, are they going to just think, well, anything this guy says in this book is just nonsense, which is a valid opinion. I mean, so that's another really difficult question. Where do you go from there? Can you, can you take lessons from someone who's um, been implicated in something like that? So clearly, um, there are lots of things that can be discussed between these two books, and there are uh, an endless amount of possibilities for teaching this in your classroom. We picked a few specific topics to talk about, but there's always more to the conversation. So uh, thank you for listening to our opinions, and hopefully this helps give some ideas about what you could do in your own classroom. So we will get to do a very similar activity to what we just did right here in the recording in class. We'll listen to the Scarlet Letter and Speak podcast, and hopefully we should just double check with the sound and make sure mm-hmm. everybody can hear, that we've now recorded and gone through here. So overall, I think you can see this was one of the better uh, podcast episodes from, from the groups. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, given, we've given some feedback. What did you think about the episode as a whole? I think as a whole, it certainly met the expectations of what we were looking we for. Were looking for. Um, and I think by virtue of us now hosting and recording with the microphone, I think that will tackle the, the one, the, the, the audio challenge. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, I think this group did a really good job like i said authentic conversation it did not sound robotic in like we've already written out our questions which is what we asked them to do last um semester we said come come up with a uh, an outline an outline like a script yeah yeah um but it sounded like they weren't talking over one another they they were prepared um it was clear that all four members had read the books and were ready to have a conversation about it. And it also sounded balanced among the four voices, which I think is something that 
we're implicit about. Maybe we should be more explicit this semester to say we want we want to make sure we hear everyone in this podcast. Also, when we're in the room, I think yes. we can look. We'll be able to see, like, oh, we'll call on so and so. What do you think about this this mm-hmm. question or this this conversation? Yeah. So, and I think just making sure that we give them the direction afterwards because they're going to take that raw footage and craft it to make sure that when they do that, they still maintain that balance of representation in the product. Thank you for listening. We are now on iTunes. Please find us there and write a review. We'd love to hear your feedback.